But turn with me in Acts, Acts chapter 21. And, you know, one of the the things I love, I know I've brought this up before, one of the things I love about going through whole books are the various topics that you will hit. You know, I think a lot of the preachers and the pastors and teachers out there, they, they, when, they, when you do not teach through a book expositorily, you don't preach the whole counsel of God, what you do is you end up just hearing the same sermons over and over from whatever their hobby horses are. Um, and you don't get the topics. You don't get all of the topics of the Word of God. And even last week we saw where Paul said, I have not neglected to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And it's a beautiful thing when we go through the books like this that we stop and we hit topics that normally wouldn't be a whole uh, you know, topical sermon. But in Acts 21, we see something uh, very interesting that happens. Um, I know you're, you're like me. You're just amazed by the Word of God and the fact that it teaches what it teaches us explicitly and implicitly. Now, what that means is there are some truths the Word of God teaches us that it's black and white and it, it comes right out at you and there's, there's no mistaking it. There's other lessons that we learn through implicit teaching. What that means is implied. The teaching is implied. In chapter 21, we're going to see uh, an implied lesson on the Holy Spirit and the unwavering conviction which Paul has. But in Acts chapter 21, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Let's go ahead and read those. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course from Kuos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when, he had when, I'm sorry, and when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one mason of Cyprus, an old disciple, with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come tonight humbly before you, Father, to open up a portion of your word to study. Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for all your blessings, Lord. And may you just energize our hearts tonight. And so that we may walk away here knowing it's been good to be in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, it's, we look at an implicit lesson given to us on the Holy Spirit. It's important as God's people and as God's leadership to listen and follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, the qualities of the Holy Spirit, there's some qualities that we know about it, is the Holy Spirit does not contradict itself. So the Holy Spirit is not going to give me something to do and give you something the opposite to do and both be true at the same time. There's something called the law of non-contradiction. Two propositions of something being true, and they're different, they both cannot be true at the same time. And so the Spirit's not going to lead me to do one thing and then lead you to do another thing that's contradictory. And so we also know of the Holy Spirit that many times it takes courage, it takes commitment to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And just the conviction the Holy Spirit brings you. Now think about you know, those who had courage to follow their conviction. Think of Joshua and Caleb. They were convicted to immediately go into the land of Canaan. They immediately claimed God's promises. But the majority of the people were fearful. And they wanted to hesitate. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, you know what? We are only going to worship the one true God. And... They had the courage to stand on that conviction, though it cost them. It could have cost them their very lives. Same thing with Daniel. Daniel was not going to be shut down. Daniel wasn't going to stop praying because there was an edict. He had a conviction, and he had courage to go through that. Now, that courage, uh, I believe it's by God's grace. God gives you the courage. Once you've decided to follow Jesus and to follow through and, and want to please him in your life, The Lord will give you that same courage to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we say, when actually the same thing could be said of Paul. We learn of Paul's conviction in chapter 20. Now we knew it before then, but we especially see it in chapter 20 because we see the same thing happen. Look Look at chapter 20, verse 22. And he says, And now behold... I go, bound in the Spirit, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying to him, 
saying that bonds and afflictions abide with me. So Paul knew he was going to go to Jerusalem. He didn't know how he was going to suffer. He certainly didn't know he was going to die. He didn't know he was going to be taken a prisoner and then sent off to Rome. We know what Paul's hopes were. Paul's hopes were to go to Rome after this and to go on to Spain. But what was Paul's attitude towards the truth which the Holy Spirit already taught him? In verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The Holy Spirit had indicated to Paul already that he was going to suffer going to Jerusalem. And we saw Paul's thoughts on this. So the, what we see in chapter 21 is as it begins is the unwavering conviction of Paul because Paul knew that the Lord had a purpose. He knew what the will of God was, that he was going to suffer in Jerusalem, but he did not know how the will of God was going to play out. He didn't know all the details, but he trusted in the Lord. You know, you got to remember, Paul surrendered his life to the love of the will of God. And so what that means is, I mean, not just to the ministers, and certainly they should, because you're surrendering your life to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but as God's people, we all surrender our lives to the will of God. Whatever, the will, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do. Wherever God leads me to go, I'll go. That's the attitude we see of Paul. And so... He knew that with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he didn't know what was actually going, all the details that was going to come up, but he knew that there was a purpose. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And he found that if you just, I found this out a long time ago, many of you all may have already done that too, but the happiest place to be in life is in the will of God, is in submission to the will of God. That's the happiest place to be. So, as God's people and certainly as leaders, we should resolve ourselves to follow the will of God. So we see a couple things right before we hit chapter 21. We see Paul already dealing with the emotion of those who love him. At the very end of chapter 20, when he tells them, I'm going to go and I'm not going to see your face, Anymore, We know later he writes the letter to the church of Ephesus, but there in Miletus, when he calls the, the Ephesian brethren, the Ephesian elders down, and he gives that sermon that we've talked about the last few weeks. At the end of it, in verse 37, it says, And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him into the ship. So here's little things I want us to notice at the very beginning here that we'll latch on to as we go through. But notice the emotionalism that's in this, the weeping, the love that they had, and the broken hearts which they had. 
that they should see Paul's face no more. All right, chapter 21 and 1 through 3, we're going to look at traveling. There's going to be a lot of traveling in this chapter, but if at the same time you have your map, you'll see kind of close to Miletus where we, where we left him in chapter 20. It says, And it came to pass that after we, now who's we? It's, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, so Luke's including himself, and then the companions of Paul, certainly uh, those from the Macedonian and Achaean churches. Uh, remember, they had the gifts. They, they had the gifts from those churches to the Jerusalem church. So, and it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, from the Ephesian elders, and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Kuos, and from thence unto Patara. Now, this is the Aegean Sea right here. This isn't the, the Mediterranean, but up in here, in where you get, you know, into between Achaia and uh, between Italy and Turkey right there, that's just like a little Achaean Sea, and these are one-day hops. So you didn't sail at night on the Aegean Sea. There was a, a strong wind that blew, and it just didn't it'd make a difference if you sailed. So we see that from Kos uh, uh, or Koas the following day into Rhodes, which is kind of number eight there on your map, south of Turkey, and then finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia. Now, Phoenicia may be hard to find. It's on the extreme right-hand side of your map. And again, the, the language is that they had left uh, Patera and they were sailing towards Phoenicia. They didn't sail to it, even though that's what it, it says unto. But we went aboard and set forth. So they got a bigger ship there in Patera. And now they, in verse 3, and now when we had discovered Cyprus, so of course that doesn't mean that they discovered the island of Cyprus, right? So we use the, the language and uh, they had seen Cyprus, left it on the left-hand side, and sailed into, into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. So Tyre is right here, number 10, and it's, and it's right below where it says Phoenicia. Now, we know Paul's ultimate purpose here as he's wanting to go to Jerusalem. He knows it's the will of God. He's wanting to, one, deliver the offering which the saints had given. He wants to deliver the offering to the saints of Jerusalem, the suffering saints of Jerusalem, get there before or on Pentecost. We know in, in Philippi, he was there at the Passover, and so he's got 50 days from the Passover to get to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. So he wants to get there before Pentecost. And then the, the second reason he's, he wants to deliver this gift himself is not only just at the will of God, but Paul really wants to unite the Jewish and the, the Gentile brethren. And so have a, a unified church. And so remember, this is a Gentile offering to the, the Jewish Baptists there at Jerusalem. And so we see that that's the ultimate purposes and so that's why we see him kind of go a little bit quicker here. But in, in verse 4, 
And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So in verse 3, we know that he has landed in Tyre, and he stays there for seven days. So we're assuming that there's enough time now where he can stay. Now that he's, you know, on, in the same country as Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's not that far from Tyre, um, he stayed there seven days. Now, finding disciples there. Now, these disciples, who are these disciples here at Tyre? Well, if you remember, the, it's kind of interesting. The persecution that we saw early in Acts that went upon the Lord's churches, what happened? Remember right after they stoned Stephen? Remember the persecution and the, the, they had scattered, right? And they had went to different regions and different areas. And so these disciples at Tyre, we, or Tyra, they, we think they're disciples that Paul has never met before, but ironically, they're the disciples who had fled from Paul, Saul of Tarsus, when Saul of Tarsus was the one pursuing the church uh, after the stoning of Stephen. So it, it's very interesting to, that Paul here has become, you know, um, has started to communicate with, with these saints. Now, Tyra, no longer, it, it's just ruins today. Tyra, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Ezekiel uh, prophet, or the, prophesied against Tyra, how the Lord would lay it waste. And in 1291, uh, they were laid waste. But So at, at this present time, there really is no Tyra. But one thing we notice is the people there at Tyre immediately fall in love with Paul. Because in verse 5, it says, And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. In verse 4, these disciples said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So they had become fond of Paul. They, they love Paul. And that's, isn't that one of the things that the Word of God says is that we love the brethren. We love the sisters in Christ. If you do not love your brother, the love of God is not in you. It's what the Word of God says. I mean, we are to love one another. And so it didn't take long, even though Paul had this past. And who knows how many personal stories these, these people had in this city of being persecuted, being chased by Paul. They loved him. They were concerned with him. And then when they left, they brought their wives and children to see him off. And he was only there seven days. Seven days. That's what it says in verse 4. We tarried there seven days. Now, here's where we're going to get into some meat a little bit. And I want us to stop and think. So here's the implicit teaching that we see of the Holy Spirit that I was talking about. These disciples who were there said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now think about that. What did the Spirit tell Paul? Did the Spirit tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not contradicting itself. So we need to understand this is a quality about the Holy Spirit. It's not going to contradict truth. And if it teaches you one truth and it teaches you another 
or you're being led by the Spirit, both things, if they're opposite, can't be true at the same time. It could not be the Spirit's wish for Paul not to go to Jerusalem and to go to Jerusalem at the same time. So, who's right? What, what does this verse mean? Now, here's the thing. It's, it's important to study the words. Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go to, up to Jerusalem? We believe these saints... Now, this Spirit, the, the Spirit of prophecy, the Spirit of wisdom, we know that these were... Church, these were well, the Spirit of prophecy was an early church gift that we don't have nowadays and foretelling events. Now, this is going to be the first instance we see. There's going to be two instances where Paul goes through this. He goes through um, following the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the face of emotionalism from others. Okay? That's what we see here. The disciples entire were shown the exact same truth Paul already knew. Paul was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. But the Holy Spirit did not tell these disciples to tell Paul not to go. Otherwise, the Spirit would have told Paul not to go. But it was out of their own spirit. I like the way Gil put this. Um, The Spirit revealed to these disciples the many evil things that would happen to Paul. Therefore, of their own spirit and out of love for Paul, they advised Paul not to go. And so we'll see this again a second time. But nowhere does it say the Spirit told them to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Neither does it at any time tell us that the Spirit told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So we do not see a contradiction. Secondly, nor do we see Paul disobey the directions of the Holy Spirit. Because we know Paul goes to Jerusalem. So, not a contradiction, and it is not disobedience by Paul. A lot of, I don't know about a lot, but I've heard some commentators, some good Bible scholars would say, well, this is where Paul went wrong, by going on to Jerusalem. But, um, we all know, I mean, we've been reading a while now in Acts. We're getting kind of close to the end. We know Paul's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do you remember how the Holy Spirit had explicitly told Paul not to preach in some regions? And Paul obeyed. And do you remember how the Holy Spirit explicitly told Paul to go to Macedonia and to preach there? And we see Paul obey. And so the third reason, this is not disobedience by Paul, Paul knew this was the ministry which Jesus had appointed him to do. Look at chapter 20, verse, um, again, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. This was the Lord Jesus' ministry that he gave to Paul. And Paul called it his course. So, from the context, from the things which we know, the Holy Spirit's not contradicting itself, nor did Paul disobey. Uh, When the Spirit, through the Spirit, these disciples, 
knew about what was going to happen to Paul. But twice now, we see Paul convicted and following the Holy Spirit, and though people, the people that he is with that love him, they mean well, they love him, but they're not considering the will of God for Paul. They're considering the love which they have for Paul. And so uh, we're going to talk more because it, we're, we're going to get in a little bit deeper when it happens the second time at Phillips. Um, now we see more traveling in verse 5 through 7. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. Now those days, meaning those seven days. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again, the people of Tyre. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we had entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And so we'll stop there for a minute. Caesarea. He ends up in, they end up in Caesarea. Now Philip uh, is... It calls Philip the evangelist here, but we also know that Philip from Acts chapter uh, 6 was also one of the seven deacons that were appointed to take uh, the oversight of feeding the widows. So he's one of the seven. You know, uh, Stephen was also one of them. So it's kind of interesting again that the companion of Stephen, the man that Paul stood there consenting unto Stephen's stoning, is, not, is meeting Paul is meeting Saul of Tarsus now. And so uh, Philip, uh, later, and the, we, we believe this is the same Philip, I've read many commentaries on this, who was also the same Philip that went to Samaria and preached the gospel unto them in Samaria. And then he also uh, preached to the Ethiopian eunuch and baptized them. And so, but the, the deaconship, was that was 20 years ago when he was in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, up until this point, now we see that he has settled in Caesarea. So he calls Philip the evangelist, and one of the seven at verse 8. And verse 9, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Now if we get time, I want to come back to this subject uh, later on. I'm going to talk about his daughters which prophesied, and um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit back then, the fulfilling the fulfilling of the prophet Joel, uh, the day of Pentecost, and what it is, what, what, what are his daughters actually doing. But I want to come back to that. I, I don't, because I, I want to make sure I have enough time for the rest of it. So in verse 10, we tarried there many days. And we're not told how many. We do know that Paul's got to get to, to Jerusalem before Pentecost, but we're not told how many. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, if you remember Agabus, this is the second time we see this prophet Agabus. Uh, he's also mentioned in Acts 11.28. Now, earlier, if you remember, he came from Jerusalem and went to Antioch. 
And in Antioch, he prophesied. Now, Antioch, when Paul was there and Barnabas was there, he prophesied that there would be a great drought, a great dearth that came upon Jerusalem. And so that was him prophesying there. Now, uh, Agabus could, you know, he was given the spirit of prophecy and foretelling events. Now we see him come from Judea down to Caesarea. And this is many, many years later. So of Agabus, we're taught to believe he just, he's a man who travels. The, the, the Lord gives him a, a word from the Lord and he travels and he gives the word, a prophecy. Um, so we know that he has spent many, many years doing that. But in verse 11, he does something very interesting, doesn't he? And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. A girdle means belt. And bound his own hands and feet and said, it means that he, Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, something you could probably stop and say was that was a bit theatrical, wasn't it? I mean, why did Agabus go through all of this, this to just give a prophecy. Now, we see, this is a very common thing that we see in the Old Testament, of the Old Testament prophets do. Uh, the Lord will give them various different things to do to symbolize uh, either the Lord's wrath that's coming, uh, His mercy, His anger. Uh, if you think about it, Isaiah he told Isaiah to go naked for three years as a, prophesy, as a prophecy against Egypt and Ethiopia. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, there was a lot of symbolism, visible symbolism. He had Jeremiah take his clothes and go shove it into a rock, in, in a hole in a rock at the Euphrates. And then he said, okay, leave. And then the Lord told him to go back, take out that old coat, take out that old garment that was in that rock and put it on. And he said, so prophesy the Israel and Judah that the same way that your garment's been marred, I will mar the pride of Judah and Israel. Now, Ezekiel, Ezekiel has many other, uh, many things, but one of the things that the Lord had Ezekiel do was sleep on his left side for 390 days as a prophecy, as a, as a preaching and teaching against Jerusalem, against Israel, for 390 days. And then he was asleep on his right side, 390 straight days on his left side, then on his right side for 40 days against Judah. And you know what the Lord did to make sure Ezekiel didn't accidentally flip on his back? It said the Lord bound him in the bed. So that way that he would, he would always sleep on his left side till the days were fulfilled. And the right side. So the Lord uses visible, we see that he uses visible techniques all throughout the prophets. Um, look at Hosea. You're talking about a tough, a tough assignment. Hosea, the Lord, I mean, the Israel had been unfaithful to the Lord. And so as a picture of his anger against that, he told Hosea to go marry a whore and have children with that whore as a symbol 
of what Israel had done to the Lord. Isn't that something? So the fact that we see Agabus using visible demonstrations here is not, it's not uncommon. Uh, but we see that his message was to Paul. Now notice what the Spirit told Agabus. Did the Spirit tell Agabus to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem? No. It says um, the same person who has this girl, this belt, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So this is the third time Paul is, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know that this is the prophecy. But the difference is, is the disciples of Tyre didn't know. This was the Lord's will for him. And then here, what does it say in verse 12? And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. That word besought is in the imperfect tense. It means continually. There Paul abode many days in Caesarea in the house of Philip. And many times they besought him, do not go to Jerusalem, do not go to Jerusalem. Why? Because they loved Paul. They loved him. They didn't want to see him get hurt. They didn't want to see him go. The elders at Ephesus didn't want to say goodbye. They, they knew that, and Paul had just said, this is the last time I'm going to see you. Or their heart broke because they loved him. Um, and, you know, to me, I just couldn't imagine here is the third time in a very small amount of time that Paul is holding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and is not moving towards what the will of God. And you know it must have been a temptation for him. Not, not a temptation to, of fear that, that he would actually suffer these things. We know Paul's re more resolved than that. But I think the temptation was, is these people, I'm breaking these people's hearts. And I love these people. And, um, you know, that's the temptation. Is especially the third time now, people who love you are pleading with you not to do something. And John Gill says this, it is an instance of weakness in them. Although it's an expression of their affection for Paul. Think about that. They were wrong to do that. It's an instance of weakness. Now, here's the thing. Is when it comes to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's important to, and ask the Lord to help you, to distinguish emotion versus conviction. Emotionally, Paul probably wanted to stay. Emotionally, Paul, and we know from Philippians, my you know, desire is to go, but to stay with you is more needful. And uh, I'm going to straight betwixt, actually, Paul wanted to go. That was his desire, but <laughs> he was stuck staying. Uh, but it is important as God's people when we're convicted of the Holy Spirit to understand is this, is this an emotion? And is this something of the flesh or is this something of the Spirit? And here's the thing is everybody had the same truth. Everybody had the same truth. 
The, the truth was that Paul was going to go and suffer in Jerusalem. But yet, Paul acted a different way on that truth than they did. Paul was determined to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And they made the mistake of allowing emotions to persuade him. Rather to stay and rather to go. I mean, these could be emotions of love, emotions of hate, emotions of pride. All of your emotions. And that's the thing is we all have the same truth. And there's, there's truth we all have. For example, the word of God tells us that we should come to church. That's the same truth. Forsake not the assembling of one another. But the word of God does not tell us which of the Lord's churches to go to in Lexington, does it? So we all have the same truth. And then what do we do? We rely on the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the will of God to be done. Because some people don't. Some people will take that same truth and just flesh it out. They'll, just be, they'll, they'll go for this reason or they'll go for that reason. Or they'll do something. Um, witnessing. You name a truth in the word of God and it's not just we come in subjection to truth being taught by the spirit of God. We do. Lord, we, we want to come in submission and humility and ask the Lord to teach us the truth. But not just to teach us, but to guide us. To, so we can follow and be pleasing to him. And so... Uh, you can know the truth, but apply it wrong. And that's what we see here. Now, they did it out of a sincere heart. They did it out of love. Uh, but we see that they had pleaded and they begged him. Then what did verse 13 say? What, what, what was Paul going through? This was tormenting Paul. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bowed only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So the second thing we know about the Holy Spirit, we need to learn and ask God to help us to separate emotion from conviction. Separate emotion from conviction. And because, you know, if somebody is led of the Lord to do something and it's breaking your heart, you honestly, I, I believe the Lord is... is teaching Paul to solidify the faith. I mean, the Lord has a reason for everything. And uh, so we see that you may be adding more temptation onto a person because you're acting out in emotion versus thinking, well, I know they prayed about it. I know they say this is the will of God for them and it's, it does break my heart and I love you. Um, but if this is the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that's easier said than done, isn't it? It, it really is. Um, but it was the Spirit's conviction to Paul he should go. We read that. We know that. It, couldn't be, it could not be the same conviction for Paul to stay, too. Same truth, different different ways people were addressing the truth. One person, Paul, was under the conviction and leading and um, coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the, other, the others did not. And you can't fault them, you know? You really can't. Um, 
You know, Brother Grant, uh, Brother Grant Hardwick made this post today. Being petty and easily offended are not spiritual gifts. Did you all read that? Being petty and easily offended are not spiritual gifts. That's not of the spirit. That's of the flesh. That's of emotions. And, you know, something that we see that happens here that we love to see is verse 14. Because I believe that, like I said, it's by God's grace we are unmovable in conviction. That he even reveals to us a conviction. It's by God's grace. But I believe the Lord had taught the disciples here at Philip's house and in Tyra and in Ephesus. I believe the Lord was teaching them a lesson through the way Paul treated this. Verse 14, he says, And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. You know, having a conviction of the Holy Spirit being not only led in truth, not only being taught the truth, but led in truth. And sometimes, like I said, it takes, it takes courage or it takes, it takes dedication. It takes commitment to the will of the Lord, to follow through with what you know the will of the Lord is, despite people being emotional. And isn't it often that the Lord will teach others to be just as convicted about what, how the Holy Spirit's leading you through the example somebody else set where your emotional pleads did not, did not help or loosen their resolve, but at the end of the day you learned that the will of the Lord be done. And I believe that's what they learned. I believe the Lord taught them right here in verse 14. The will of the Lord be done. And I love this lesson. So unwavering conviction also teaches by example. Um, Paul, once again, by God's power and his grace, overcame any personal feelings that he had for following God's will for him. And in doing so, we see everyone else say, let the will of the Lord be done. That's where you have to, that's where you end. That's where you stop. My feelings aside, not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine, Lord. Not my will, but thine. You will never be happy fighting against the will of the Lord. And verse 15, And after those days we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Mason of Cyprus, an old disciple. Now that could, now some people believe that Mason of Cyprus could have been one of the, uh, the 70 disciples. So he could have known Christ in his own ministry. So an older disciple. We definitely do not think it's uh, one of Paul and Barnabas's uh, when they visited Cyprus because they wouldn't use the word old disciple there, but with whom we lodged. So why did they bring Mason? Well, because Mason had a place either on the way to Jerusalem from Caesarea or at Jerusalem. Uh, but they brought him so that they could stay with him. And notice verse 17, a big keystone verse, and when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. What did we just complete? When Paul lands in Jerusalem, we just finished the third missionary journey. Isn't that something? There's only three. We just completed the third. And so we are going to uh, look at 
his voyage to Rome the next time. But I want to leave with some concluding thoughts. Do you lead your life to be more in tune with the leadership of the Holy Spirit rather than the impulses of your feelings? And that's something that we all need to pray about. That's something that we can all do better. Lord, help me. Help me to be able to distinguish the two. Now, there's no mistake, Paul was not sad about fulfilling the will of God. And we don't have time to turn there, but if you do write things down, Philippians 1.20, he says, uh, right now, all I want is Christ to be magnified in my body, whether by life or whether by death. In Philippians 2.16 and 2.17, he said, and if I am offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul loved the will of God more than the love from other people. Think about that. Paul loved the will of God more than his feelings, what his feelings were telling him to do. You know it broke his heart. They all wept sore. We are committed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but also be able to distinguish between what is conviction versus what is emotion. And another thought that I want to leave us with is we are told to love each other to the point where we would be confused because I love you so much. I want you to stay. We are to love each other so much where we would have the same thing we see here. I mean, that's something. Um, one of the things that um, was hard for, and this, this lesson kind of hit home to me, and I, I, many of you may probably have stories of a time where your feelings were telling you one thing, but the Lord was telling you to do another. And finally you had to surrender to the will of the Lord, and you found joy in that. And it solidified your faith, it solidified your conviction, it solidified your determination of who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow your feelings? Are you going to follow the Lord? Uh, April and I, one of the hardest things we did was leave Bethel because uh, we loved the people there. We were there for 30, I don't know, is that right? 30 years, something like that? Maybe not that much. Long enough to where, but the Lord was leading me here. And so it was out of love that people would express, but you can't go, you can't leave, you, you can't do this, you're needed here, you're needed, you know. And to me, I appreciated their love, their gestures of love. But at the same time, it was a little tempting, like, well, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I don't have it right. There is a difference. Now, many times the Lord will use the Spirit in your emotions and you're being led in the Spirit, uh, for your emotions, but there are times where we can definitely distinguish what am I choosing? Am I choosing my feelings or am I choosing the will of the Lord? What do I love more? What do I want to see accomplished more? And that's what we see. Paul loved the will of the Lord more. He sought the will of the Lord more. He wanted to be in the will of God. He didn't know. He knew he was going to go and suffer. 
And he definitely, I don't think he knew he was going to end up dying as a result of this. I, didn't, I, I honestly believe Paul thought he was going to go to Rome as a preacher and then go on to Spain as a missionary. But that's not the way it happened. But Paul knew and he trusted in the Lord who loved him. Oh, we trust in the providence of God in our lives and we trust him and we know that the Lord loves us. And though we may not see the, the full picture, and we, we definitely, most of the time, if not any, we are not going to see the full picture. We know that God has a purpose and he has a plan. And uh, you know what? After now that we've been here, and it didn't take long for me to love you all and you all to start loving me. And now I can't even imagine leaving here now. So, uh, you know, we see the same thing. Isn't that something? You just go and, and God's people should love God's people. And as a matter of fact, they do. And, um, but it was one of the hardest things we, we did was leaving Bethel under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord, Lord, you have a work for me to do. I, I mean... We have our parking spot here, Lord. We, we, we know the people here, Lord. We, we know how things run, and, and I've got this to do, and I've got this to do, and I know I've told you all this before. And one day the Lord convicted me as, as, as hard as can be, and he said, Philip, you're thinking too much of yourself. You don't think the Lord can run his church without you? I was like, you're right. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church, and the Lord has a church over on Larch Lane, that he wants me at. Whatever your will is, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And I had to kind of appreciate the emotion, but understand this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I pray the Lord's richly blessed you in his study. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, for the study of your word. Thank you for the eternal life which you have given us. You've purchased with your own blood. Father, we are yours. And we know, Father, that you love us and gave yourself for us and we'll be forever in glory with you. Father, help us to learn your word and, and use your word in our lives. May we think twice next time, Father, when we think we may be being led by the Spirit. May we, may we stop and consider if this was something of our own feelings or if this was being directed by you. Father, help us in those things. Help us to be able to distinguish. Uh, for many times, we, we do not know your will. But Father, we do know that you love us and have a purpose, and we trust in your providence and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for those who are here tonight. We do pray for those who could not come out of sickness or other issues. Father, you know each heart and each need. In Jesus' name, amen.